Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, John Hoganish. He's a professor at uh, UC, Department of Pediatrics. Uh, We're going to talk about our genome and uh, circadian rhythms and um, how in mammals, genetics may affect their circadian rhythms. Um, Myself being a mammal that has a very strange circadian rhythm, I'm sure we'll get into that, so... John, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Pretty good. I mean, weathering the storm here. Yeah, excellent. So uh, how did you get interested in, in circadian rhythms, first of all? I was finishing up um, my bachelor's in history and realized that was probably not going to get me very far. Um, I was training to be a cold warrior, and um, Gorbachev brought the wall down. So I figured, why not start something else? So I started to do some biology, and I got really interested in how genes regulate behavior. It was sort of the decade of the brain and everything. And the very first class in graduate school I had was from Joe Takahashi, who's a, um, a clock person at UT Southwestern. Um, and I became interested in that area. And then the rest is history. So for people that don't know, what are circadian rhythms? You know, just what's the real basics of it? There are daily rhythms in behavior and physiology that uh, persist in the absence of external cues. That is to say, if you go to a cave and you sleep without, without any, uh, regard to the outside sun, you will still sleep with a circadian rhythm. Um, so there'll be a rhythm of once per day, you'll have a bout of sleep and uh, you'll, you'll go to sleep at around the same time every day. Huh. There's similar rhythms and hormones like growth hormone and cortisol and melatonin and muscle function and all, all kinds of things are, cre- are regulated by the clock. What, um, I, I would guess the biggest, uh, well, some of the biggest drivers of clock would be sunlight, uh, yep. food, Yep. Um, you know, what else? Uh, body temperature is a big one. Hormones are a big one. Like cortisol is a big, big resetting cue for your body. I mean, those are the, the major four. Light, which regulates behavior. Food, which regulates your peripheral clocks, like clocks in your gut and your liver and your kidneys, et cetera. And then you have these hormonal systems that have 24-hour cycles that can also um, uh, entrain clocks el- in, in different cells of your body. So what, uh, what are you studying about circadian rhythms in particular? Like, you know, how they uh, exist in strange circumstances or like what's your focus? So our focus at Cincinnati Children's Hospital is really how does, this, how does the circadian system integrate with healthcare? And so we are a large pediatric hospital. We have almost 900 beds in Cincinnati. Um, and uh, we have, you know, lots of patients whose rhythms are disrupted in, as, part of, as part of a stay in the hospital. Um, so if you've ever stayed in the hospital before, you realize that the lights are pretty bad, they're pretty weak. Um, you're getting poked and prodded every few hours to have your blood pressure, your vitals taken. The, the food can be spotty. Um, it, it's not the best circadian environment in the world. It's probably one of the worst. And so we're, we're studying like, one, how can we help people sleep a little better um, while they're in the hospital? And two, we've come to realize that most of what we do is, is really delivered on a rhythm. Um, so like, for example, uh, most orders for drugs are placed between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. in the morning and given with a one or two hour delay. 
without regard to whether or not that's the best time for that drug or or that kind of thing. So we're trying to to both fix some of the operational details, things like light. The lighting systems in hospitals are pretty bad, but also how do we take advantage of the clock to make sure that the the time a procedure or a medicine is given is optimal for your body. Yeah, I've been in the hospital before, and um, I guess I'll tell you a funny story about a sleep lab. Like, you know, I have a weird schedule. I go to bed at like 3 or 4 in the morning. I get up at like 11 or noon. I've been doing this for like 20 years, you know. I don't know why. Do you have a parent um, or another relative that sleeps like that as well? Oh, uh, yeah. My dad's been doing that for 50 years. So, um, but I, I, I was going to go for a sleep study, you know, for possible apnea years ago. And they, they'd say to me, uh, all right, well, get it, get to us by, you know, 8 o'clock and you'll be asleep by 9. And then we kick you out at like 6 in the morning. I said, that's okay. not going to work for me. Go to bed at these times. And I said, I, I'm not going to fall asleep. That's, that's ridiculous. They go, well, that's, that's how we do it. I said, well, I'm not coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a syndrome called delayed sleep phase syndrome. And- well, uh, some implications of that I'd like to ask you about. Um, you know, I've been told, and I don't mean this to turn into just a podcast about me, but it'll be informative for listeners. So like, you know, I've been told uh, cortisol spikes at this time and this hormone troughs yeah. at this time. And right. What happens if your sleep is different like mine is? Do my hormones cycle at the same times or is it independent of my sleep time or no? Yours is probably going to be dependent on your sleep time. So you're probably going to peak later. Like if we were to check your blood pressure by ambulatory measure, that is to say, take your blood pressure every 30 minutes. I would bet that your blood pressure rhythm is delayed. Your heart rate rhythm is delayed. Your rhythm in cortisol is delayed. Everything's delayed. And it has implications, right? We, we, have, a, we have some patients that are DSPS. About, about 9% of adolescents, it turns out, are become delayed um, at some point in their life. They might, might flip back to normal later, but they become delayed. And we have, we have a couple patients that, that are like you. They're very, very, uh, very delayed. We have, we have a patient that goes to bed at, at 6 a.m., wakes up at 4 p.m. That's crazy. Um, that's rough, right? You can't, can't really go to school back in the days when we went to school um, <laughs> right? and, and be effective if you're, if you're way off on your sleep schedule like that. Hmm. So what, um, do you study people like this or, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like, I guess the study is new and it's, it hasn't really been done before or. Yep. We, we've started the first circadian and complex sleep disorder clinic um, in pediatrics um, and it opens up next month. So we already have okay. maybe 50 or so patients and we're, we're, uh, we're going to grow that base from there. Well, what's known about um, people that have, you know, larks or owls or extreme owls or whatever you call them, like what, what's already known about um, people with different sleep schedules? Um, some of it's social. So you'll, you'll get what's called social jet lag. All your friends are up, so you're up too. You order food mm-hmm. late, and, and some of it's genetic. So Yingwei Fu and Louis Patacek have, the, the researchers at UCSF, have found a number of families already that are advanced sleep phase syndrome and delayed sleep phase syndrome and gotten all the way down to the genetic cause of the disease. We've done a couple as well, um, but they're certainly the pioneers. And when we've done that, we, we find mutations of what are called core clock factors. These are the factors that, that comprise your, your body's circadian clock. And so there are mutations in, in the PER genes, the cryptochrome genes, et cetera, that underlie this behavior in certain cases. Is it, I mean, you, you call it a disease. Why do you call it a disease? Is it uh, that the person will it's a, it's called know, a get syndrome. sick or die? Or, okay. It's called a syndrome, DSPS or ASPS. It's not a disease per se. And actually we tell our patients, um, while you're, while you're in school or while you get through college, um, well, it'll probably have to be managed. But after that, you can choose to be the third shift worker at our hospital or trade the Tokyo <laughs> desk in New York. 
or just gravitate towards a job that, that suits your lifestyle. Like right. bartenders and, and, um, and people in bands are often delayed and, and they don't even know it. They're, and they're just living life and, and, and having, a, having a good old time. And also there's people, you know, there's, you, you probably know them. There's a, a subset of people that are advanced sleep phase. They, they get to the meetings early. They wake up early. Um, I, I find them annoying personally, but they're out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some people that get up at uh, like 5 a.m. every day. And like the, the one time that I'll get up early is when, you know, I, I travel with my family, you know, because all the activities are early. But somehow I guess I convince myself that, okay, it's a different time zone. It's no big deal. I can get up early and. But even then, I still won't get up super early, and I'll revert pretty quickly back to, uh, you know, a later clock. Um, yep. It's not my preferred at all. Yeah. So I, the people that get up at like five a.m., I, I don't know how they do it. It just sounds awful. Like the worst thing I in the world. I have a colleague who gets up around three thirty or four. Like I just don't understand it. Ugh. Yeah. When I was um, seventeen or sixteen, I was offered a job as a baker's assistant, and you know, it was in New York, and the guy goes, "All right, you started, you know, at three. And I said, "Oh, three p.m. That's great." He says, "No, no, no." 3 a.m. I said, why do you have to start so early? He's like, well, you have to make the donuts and everything fresh and all that. And I said, can't you make them the night before? And he goes, never mind. I, I withdraw the offer. You, know, you, you don't understand. So that would probably be one of the worst jobs for me. But it's funny. Yeah. You, you gravitate towards what you what you prefer, right? I have, I have yeah. one of my postdocs is, is quite delayed as well. And he just works on a later shift. And right now during the COVID epidemic, when you're not supposed to be crowding spaces it turns out that having people like that around is pretty handy mm, that's true yeah that's definitely true so what what's um i don't know what has been discovered so far about people that have different sleep schedules you know that obviously that uh, there's a there could be a genetic basis or there is a genetic basis but any other um i don't know physiologically are there very important differences like what else has been noticed there are short sleepers people that need a s- small amount of sleep, and it's Probably not that rare, probably on the level of one or two percent of people that can get by and uh, on five hours of sleep. Mm. Most of us, if we have like five or six hours of sleep for one night, we're reasonably okay. But you start stringing them together, we quickly get you know our our, our ability to concentrate, our 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 temper, our, our anxiety goes up. Those are those are really the bad consequences of lack of sleep. And obviously, the 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 things like getting into car accidents, falling asleep at the wheel lack of attention, all these things are, are major health problems. Um, but in, in at least two cases, we found um, mutations in a gene called DEC2, and that okay. underlies short sleep, which is, I think is pretty amazing. I would love to get five hours of sleep and be okay. I can. Everyone I mean, would, yeah. yeah. I think everybody would. Absolutely. So these people with this DEC2 mutation, they, they get five hours of sleep or four hours for, what, years and years and years, and they seem to be totally fine? Yeah, 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 that's the dream. We described the first family about 10 years ago, and we found a second family with uh, some genetic changes very, very close by in the DEC2 gene, and they seem to be just perfectly fine on five hours of sleep per night. And they're resistant to sleep deprivation. So if you intentionally sleep deprive them, they don't seem to be bothered as much by it. Oh, wow. So um, you, work, you work in the hospitals. Uh, it sounds obvious, I guess, in what to do. You know, don't disturb people every few hours, maybe let them go longer. Right. But what are some of the, um, the ideas and protocols you've come up with to improve hospital stays? Well, one thing what we're doing now is we're opening a new critical care center next fall. And inside, um, there's about 225 beds, NICU and PICU. This is the neonatal ICU and the pediatric ICU. About 80 of the NICU beds and about 20 of the PICU beds will be outfitted with a circadian aware lighting system. 
So this is a lighting system that doesn't produce that, that kind of bluish light that you see, the fluorescent lights, um, but can, can really, can really uh, clone dusk or dawn um, or any light level in between, light, the color of the light and also the intensity of the light all the way up to about 10,000 lux, which is about the, uh, about the, the, the brightness of, of the shade on a sunny day. Um, and when you go into, a typical, go into a typical hospital room, you'll, you probably will notice that there, it's much, much dimmer. In fact, I went to NICU a few months ago and noticed that the light levels were maybe four lux, and it was 4,000 lux outside that day. It was a rainy day. Um, so we have really unhealthy lighting systems in hospitals, and, and we're trying to, to help address that by by building lighting systems that are, that are sort of more able to, able to produce a more natural light inside the building. Yeah, at home, I've seen systems uh, where, you know, you, you, let's say you want to get up at 8 o'clock and you have this lamp that slowly gets brighter at 7.30 yep. until it, it naturally wakes you up, you know, 8 o'clock. I mean, why not do something like that at hospitals? Could that be done? Is it expensive? Or you know, what could be done? That's essentially what we're doing. It's just a, a, a souped-up version of that. Yeah, I mean, fairly dim. Um, they they won't be able to produce the brightness levels like that that we can produce in a with a with a commercial grade system. Well, what about the preferences of the people that you have in the hospital, though? What if someone has a very late schedule and the hospital does what's convenient for them? Um, I mean, you could say like, well, hey, we're treating them. Be happy that we're treating you at all. But you know, what if they react to a medication badly early in the day? Let's say. Yeah, we certainly have instances like that. There are drugs um, that act very much like 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 cortisol, uh, the prednisone, methylprednisone. And if you give it to somebody too late in the day, too late in their sleeping phase, they can get insomnia and hungry, and also have emotional problems. They become hangry. So we're trying to identify cases in the hospital where, where we're doing this, and then the ideal would be to flip up a message on the on the electronic medical record and say. You know, ideally, this should be given at this particular time of day for this patient. That's the dream. Okay. Right now, we're able to see it that that where, where things have have gone awry, but we're not able to fix it. So we're kind of working through those details. Yeah, time. I mean, if someone, um, you know, like for instance, when is cortisol supposed to rise? I've always heard it in terms of a time of day, but I haven't heard it in terms of. I, I think first of all, everything should be recast based on what you're saying in terms of number of hours awake instead of time of day or night, because that doesn't seem to make as much sense as what you're saying. It's probably relating things to your sleep cycle is probably the best way to do it. Okay. So, so as an example, like later, when does cortisol peak and when does it peak for someone? As on you wake up. It peaks as you wake up. So you, it's probably going to peak later than it'll peak for me. I'm a more or less a, a pretty normal sleeper, um, 10 or 11, all the way to seven, seven thirty the next morning. And mm. I'll, I'll, uh, my cortisol is probably coming on a good deal, good number of hours before yours is. Okay. You know, there's, there's pretty, there's pretty strong differences in people. If you, even if you think about feeding, like there's people that eat breakfast and the people that don't eat breakfast. Whenever I give a talk, I always yep. ask the audience, you know, who here's first meal was before 8am and usually about maybe 20% of the hands go up. And then I'll say who hasn't eaten yet. And it's typically around 11 or 12. So you, you, you'll see in a room that there's substantial variation in, in when your body's receiving these cues these cues could be light, these cues could be food, these cues could be hormones. Um, there's substantial variation in, in how we choose to, to live our life, even, even in a room of quote-unquote normal sleepers. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't like to eat breakfast, um, so I won't eat for, even after I wake up, sometimes I won't eat till like three or four, and it doesn't bother me in the least. I don't like to eat breakfast. And some people have to eat as soon as they wake up, you know, so it's yep. a huge variation. Absolutely. 
Huh. Very, very interesting. It'd be good to be able to customize things once we have a, a workable biomarker for for the amount of sleep that you have and also the timing of your sleep, your circadian phase. Um, we're, we're close, but we're not quite there yet. Well, one of the issues, though, I could see is, um, you know, if light is a major cue and half of my sleep, let's say, or half of someone else's sleep is spent. I mean, like I have blackout curtains, but I mean, I think what I've noticed is even with a tiny bit of light, there still seems to be that cue. So what happens if someone, you know, again, sleeps late and wakes up late, and but yet they, they don't have blackout curtains and they're being hit with sun for, you know, three or four hours out of their sleep time. That's probably right. going to mess up their hormone regulation regardless. That happens. And then the other thing that happens that's even more common is quote, quote unquote artificial light will interrupt people's sleep. So a yeah. hundred years ago when electricity wasn't all that common, um, we didn't, we didn't have all these bright street lights and, and all these types of things, all this, all this ambient light in our, in our universe. And it wasn't really disrupting sleep so bad. But nowadays, you know, if you walk, you said you're from New York, if you walk to Manhattan at three o'clock in the morning, there's going to be a lot of light out still. And so this is going to have a consequence on people's health. And we don't really know all of the things that can, that can go wrong when you get light at night. Um, but the things that we do know are metabolic problems, a proclivity to certain metabolic and other diseases. It's not good. So we're trying to, our, our society, the Society for Research and Biological Rhythms, um, whose meeting was today, actually, was trying to raise attention to some of these issues in collaboration with our, our colleagues in the sleep research field, um, that, that light at night is bad and, and that you should pay attention to the, the sort of your sleep environment at home, blackout shades, that type of thing. Covering up bright blue, bright green, green LEDs, you probably noticed if you, if you sit and wait in a dark room for a few minutes, all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, all these little LEDs that don't look so bright when the bright sun can be pretty bright. And so I, I personally take uh, duct tape and I go tape them over and, and tune, tune them down a little. Yeah, when I stayed in hotels, it's really bad. I have to bring duct tape and I have to tape up all these lights. At home, I'm looking at like one of my switches, you know, for my humidifier. I taped over it. Even though that was red, it's still bright. And if yep. you're in a dark room, even a tiny LED could be super bright. Even if it's not even in your line of sight, it could be below the bed or on the floor. You can see the glow. And I've definitely noticed like my sleep is best when it's completely dark and there's no lights at all, even so small ones. Light really bothers me. I'll take like, I'll take the alarm clocks and I'll unplug them mm -hmm. um, or put towels over them. So you can't yep. see anymore. I don't, I'm not smart enough to travel with duct tape, although I do have some at home. Yeah. Or I'll put them in a drawer or I'll put them face down. Or like you said, I'll plug them, I'll, I'll throw them on the floor or, Stuff. Oh, it just drives you crazy, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. People don't. Uh, it, it's weird, you know. Device manufacturers they don't seem to understand these lights. I mean, I I remember staying at a place where they had those like air conditioners that you, know, you stick up on the wall. Those small ones they had like in other countries, right. and right. the number, the temperature was like this bright white light. And I was like, hey, who designed this thing? What the hell's wrong with them? How are you supposed to sleep with this bright white light from this stupid thing on? You know. And you couldn't do it unless you like got a ladder and taped it up. There's a big company that makes these uh, circadian systems, these the, this actigraphy units called Philips Respironics. It's part of Philips Electronics. And they also make the LEDs that go into medical equipment that are also really bright and also really bothersome. And they also make lights. So you'd think that one hand of the company would talk to the other hand of the company, but it is not so. Yeah, I guess people just don't... It's not incorporated into design. So I wonder if that's a whole other field of... Um, 
you know, just circadian centric design, you can call it. Maybe you'll be yeah. the leader of that new field, you know, to write. We're starting to think about it. Um, it's, it's beginning to happen at the architecture conferences and such. People are starting to pay attention to those details. There's architecture firms you can hire to help design new buildings. that will be more, more circadian aware. Well, I remember working for um, large semiconductor companies and, you know, I was in a cubicle farm and all the overhead lights of fluorescence and it's horrible. It just it sucked the life out of me. And I thought I was just sensitive, you know, but when I go for lunch, I'd leave every day and I go to like Starbucks or I'd be outside and I just feel immediately better and more productive. And I would hate to go back to work. I just felt drained. And now I realize years later, like it's not just me and that those things do have a significant effect. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. It's not just brightness, but it's color temperature and right. exactly. other factors too. <laughs> full spectrum lighting that you get outside that you don't get inside that we're trying to address that with, a, with our, our new critical care building. Well, very good. So what do you, what do you see as some of the, uh, we're probably discussed, but what do you see as some of the advances that will really help people in a hospital setting or a home setting? One thing we're really excited about is, um, is, is researching electronic medical records, electronic medical records, EMRs. So if you look at all of the studies that have been done on the timing of medication over the last 70 years or so, there's only about 108 or so studies that have tested more than one time of day. But we have tons and tons of information um, locally, and also every single hospital has this. Um, they have historical data um, on, on when they time medications. It just it hasn't, gone, it hasn't gone researched yet. And so we, we recently did a, pa- a paper where we described going into our a medical record and relating, uh, just exploring when, when medic medicines are ordered and when they're given. And we found a whole bunch of cases where um, things made sense. Like for example, in the ICU, prednisone, this cortisol-like molecule was given after people wake up in the morning around eight, eight to 10. But, um, but we also saw some cases where it didn't make sense. For example, um, pain medications were given in the morning. We know that at least for some types of pain, people complain more at night than they do in the day. So that's room for improvement ask the patient about pain, about pain in the evening and treat it then. And, 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 and that'll help us to, to become a better, better hospital. Yeah. I noticed a friend of mine was, uh, he, he told me that um, I had shoulder pain, but it started to, it was all day and then it would only happen only at night. And I said, why? He said, you know, my adrenaline must be going down as I've been awake for more hours. So that's why. So maybe that's a phenomenon. I don't know if it's known or not, but that might be something to be looked at. So you're right. In the morning, people are probably less likely to have pain or when they first wake, but later on more. Yeah, it's comp- more complicated than that. It t- turns out the type of pain. So there, there's this inflammatory pain. You've probably seen these people with arth- arthritis. They have pain when they wake up. Other people could have like a, um, an injury. Like it sounds like you had a shoulder injury at some point. Yeah. And it might be worse for you trying to go to sleep because, because of the nature of where your shoulder is. And it's kind of hard to avoid it when you're in a bed. Well, that too, yeah. It would hurt at night, but then when I go to sleep, then it was even worse. Then eventually it resolved, but that was the progression, was all day, all night, then just, you know, evening and sleep, then just sleep only, then totally gone. But, you know. So you healed. Right. It took a while, but that was the progression. But I just remember his comment along the way about, you know, oh, after you've been awake for a while, your adrenaline probably is depleted. So that's why you're feeling the pain more. So maybe that's an effect. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. And then, um, you know, I was thinking, like, let's say, you know, Hopefully not, but if I was a heart patient in a hospital and they came to give me medication at like eight or nine in the morning, you know, my cortisol may be lower than normal or higher than normal and that would affect how the medication would affect me. So it seems like hospitals really need to pay attention to, you know, their patients and their current circadian rhythm. Like if someone just gets into the hospital, 
and they have um, a sleep schedule like me, they're going to react very differently from being in there for a week and let's say adjusting where someone that has that normal sleep wake schedule that goes in the hospital, they don't have to adjust much. Like let's say I would. So medication right. delivery should be different for them versus me. Let's say. That's exactly right. So we're just learning the rules now about, about detecting those types of patterns and electronic medical records. And I eventually would like to be able to the point where, where, where we could offer helpful suggestions on when to give an individual patient a certain type of medicine and code it within the electronic medical record. What, um, how much of a difference have you noticed that uh, doing the right things with the right lighting, the right times makes? Have you evaluated that yet? We've done it in, in animal studies for a couple of drugs, like giving the drugs at the right time. And more or less, it makes them work about twice as good when there's a high amplitude um, circadian rhythm. Um, but wow. we haven't had a chance to, to turn the lighting, the lighting system on because the building's not going to be open until next fall, um, which is around the corner, actually. It's not that far away. And um, mm -hmm. where others have studied this over the years, uh, for example, in the NICU, they found that cycling lighting, 12 hours light, 12 hours dark, uh, the babies that were under the cycled lighting conditions versus continuous dim light have gone home about two weeks sooner than babies that, that had the continuous dim light. And that's a big deal if you're a parent, if you've ever had a kid in a NICU, which I have, um, it's not the best environment in the world. And getting your kid you know, home and, and healthy two weeks sooner is, a, is a, um, a huge financial win and also a huge win for the family. You know what's something that could be real simple to do? Well, probably, but um, for any medication or for any supplement, if the manufacturer also puts on their best times of day to take it and why, you know, or at least has a link to a website that does that, that could increase the efficacy of any administered medication, you know, over-the-counter prescription. But, you know, when they're not in a hospital, not with a doctor, that may be a huge benefit to health just doing that. Yep. I w I've been hoping that, that pharma would start to do some of these studies at least at a couple times a day. Just check metabolism. Give the drug in the, in the morning, give the drug in the evening, and see if the metabolism of the drug changed. Well, but not, not very many takers to date. Yeah, like I take a bunch of supplements and, you know, a couple of years ago, my wife took them and looked them all up. And somehow she was able to figure out, take these in the morning, these in the afternoon, these at night. And I adjusted it and it was a lot better. It did, it did seem, it seemed to feel a lot better. So I think there's a lot to be said for just doing that with that medication. Yep. Yep. We've only tested in the last 70 years about, a, like I said, about 108 or so drugs. So we, we need to learn, learn more about this. And I think the electronic medical records are a way to do this quickly and at scale. Of the 108 you looked at, like how many had this time-dependent effect? Uh, 78 of them did. And it was a was it a small effect or a big effect or the effects based on the on the on the drug and the sort of indication you were looking at. Where what was most interesting about it was pretty obvious. Drugs have a half-life. That means they're they're in your body for so long. The ones that have a super long half-life, one over like 24 hours, didn't really have a circadian effect. The ones that had a fast half-life, say two hours or six hours, they did have a circadian effect. And so that type of information would be good to have if you're a drug developer um, to, to take advantage of the system, uh, either by restricting the drug to when it's working or avoiding, avoiding an, uh, a, a side effect of the drug, that type of thing. Yeah, if a drug is long-acting, let's say eight or 12 hours, and if you take it and half that time you're asleep, it could blunt the effect, it could improve the effect, or it could worsen the effect. I mean, I guess there's a lot to this that needs to be looked at. Absolutely. Plus, if you have a shift worker as a patient, for example, let's say that they have, they're, on, they're on for a week and then they're off for a week. 
um, which is not the craziest shift schedule I've heard of, but it's probably not very good. It's the equivalent of going to Australia once a week. You'd be pretty miserable catching up on your sleep. I might choose a long half-life medication, a long antihypertensive, for example, just because it won't matter when you take it. If you have to, if you have, if you're a shift worker, you might alter the pattern of your medication depending on what drugs you're taking and what time of day you're you're currently working, that kind of thing. You probably want to make it more simple for the patient and give them a long acting form that he didn't need to think about too much. So you're going to do this effort in the hospital, which is great. Um, is there another place that you see there's a huge need for, um, you know, making people aware of the circadian timing and so that it can improve their lives? Like what other avenues do you see that you want to work in? Well, I'd like to get to the home environment, but we don't really have too much control of how people light their homes or, or what, when they eat or what they eat or that type of thing. So we hope to learn the rules in hospital systems um, and then take what we've learned in hospital systems and help people apply it at home. Other people- What about their- you? Are you? Are you biohacking? Like if I go into your house, like do you have all these like really cool lights that dim and go on at different times? And you know, are you doing this for yourself? I hooked them to um, Alexa. That's pretty good. Oh, can you tell Alexa to change the color temperature of the light or just on or off or dim it? You can do that. I, I just have on or off. And I also have the, the blackout shades, like you say, and also the duct tape. That's, just, that's really about as hacky as I've gotten. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to really like go crazy, you could uh, designate a room in your house as like the experiment room and you know do all kinds of cool lighting stuff and, and everything, temperature. Yeah. What I've noticed is that my teenager is not very enthusiastic about some of these ideas. He's uh he's been yeah. going delayed during this COVID epidemic. Yeah, uh, you know, actually, that's that's one phenomenon to discuss with you too. Is um, yeah, my family too. Everyone is going like <laughs> I'm dragging them into the night owl range with me, but right. everyone's going late, waking up late, and I think it's yeah. just because you know all schedules have been disrupted. So I wonder like if a lot of the world is if that's happening to them too. You know? It does seem to be. And we don't really understand why. I've gotten into a couple of debates with, with uh, some colleagues, and um, it's one of the leading hypotheses is we don't see enough sunlight. And so maybe, maybe making sure that you, you sit by a window early in the day and in the evening um, would help with some of this behavior. And right now, the way that we have things is we have blackout shades, so we can avoid the light. Um, but maybe we, we don't need to be avoiding it. Maybe we just need to get, be getting a little bit more of it going outside, exercising, that kind of thing. Yeah, when I wake my kids up, I tell them, open your blinds, because they never do. So I go and open the blinds, and they hate that. But I, I want to, you know, start their clocks going, even though yep. it's late, so it doesn't even get later. You know, otherwise, they'll never go to bed. I don't even think about going in my teenager's room. <laughs> get me in trouble. <laughs> um, one more thing I can, you know, since this conversation is kind of just personal, I got the, uh, the Uller, you know, cooling system it circulates water to like a thin um, you know that seems to be helping you can either do it warm or cold but i found like an optimum temperature for me and it does help me sleep better and uh, you know my wife hates it but i have it only on my side now but uh but that works really well uh the uler it's another thing too for regulating body temperature so it 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 gets lower faster when you lay down to sleep another idea for you yeah what's your preferred temperature um, I, I did first I did 55 it was too cold and then I went down I put it up to 64 that's the best for me like 64 65 is the best you know Correct. 67 and up it's too warm for me so it depends on your body but that's what I noticed is it can be too most, cold most people prefer between 60 and 68 so you're right in the middle there okay yeah yeah when you lay on it um, like if you lay on your back I could feel my spine like getting colder and colder to a point but the first few nights I tried it too cold for me it I couldn't sleep. Then it was like, it kept me awake. So I, 
I, you know, I honed it in and it worked pretty well, you know, and I got one for my, my teenage daughter and she likes it too. Cause she runs hot and some people run cold and, you know, so those systems are helpful. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing is uh, my pillow gets very hot, but now when I flip it over, the other side's pretty cold because it's laying against the bed. So that helps too. If I, you know, they need to do the same thing for the pillow itself to cool that down. I know there's companies doing it, but at least when I flip the thing, it's nice and cold and it's like, ah, you know, so. I have one of those cold pillows in, in bed as well. It's pretty, pretty nice. The other, the other thing that's kind of interesting about that, that was the first time I've heard that was when somebody was describing Joe Montana. They said, he's as cool as the other side of the pillow. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So you have a, a pillow that keeps your head cooler than normal? Yep. Oh, what, what have you noticed about that? Uh, it, it works pretty good. I don't really understand it. It's got some gel or something in there and it draws the heat out and feels cooler. I like that. I try to keep the house around 72. This is a constant source of uh, arguments with the kids. They want it cooler. They want it closer to 68, but it's the summer in Cincinnati, right? So it's going to get hot. That's another thing you can modulate in the house too, is you could set it. If you have like a nest, you know, maybe from 10 10 PM to 6 AM, it goes down to 68 for the overnight or something. Absolutely. That's, that's how I do it. Okay. It's a source of, of, of consternation for my fiance as well. She likes it colder than I do at night. (laughs) <laughs> she knows how to she knows she knows how to set it herself too with the with the alexa so it's sort of out of my hand. <laughs> well very good no, this is a this is a really great conversation as you can tell i'm really interested in this and you know obviously you are so how can people find out more about your work and if they're in the area you know they don't want to volunteer to go to the hospital but you know how do they find out about more, your work and if they feel like they're eligible for some reason to talk to you how do they contact you we have a, a, a lab webpage, hoganeshlab.org, where we have a lot of our links to our papers and such. Um, also, the Society for Research in Bi- Biological Rhythms has a number of white papers on, on issues like what time should I go to bed, what temperature should it be, um, when should I eat, all those types of things are, are kind of all, all sort of subjects that are being blogged about and, 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 gone, and gone past a number of leading researchers who have spent a lot of time thinking about these issues. So I think those would be really good references for people. Okay. Well, very good. Well, John, it's been a great call and uh, thanks again for coming. I appreciate it. No worries. Have a great day. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.